0: This is Kyle Worley, and I'm joined by my co-host, Jen Wilkin and JT English. We are laughing because we have tried to start this episode. We've made it to the exact same point four times now, and it, it, our recording has cut out on us. So, uh, Jen, is there anything you'd like to ask me that I've never heard before as part of our banter hey, Kyle. for this episode?
1: Kyle, I heard uh-huh? you try to come visit me today at the Village Church. Funny enough,
0: (laughs) I did. Um, I did try to come visit you today at the Village Church. I had a lunch up there with someone else Mm -hmm. uh, and thought, well, I'll I'll stop in and see my friend Jen real quick. So I texted you. You said, yeah, I'm here. And then I walked in as I did for – almost every day for three years and routinely for five years when I worked on staff Mm -hmm. uh, at at a church that eventually blessed me at a church where I've preached at and sent me out as a church Mm -hmm. planner. Mm -hmm. And I did not make it past reception. I think they (laughs) thought I was, they said, who are you here for? And I said, Oh, I'm, I was hoping to pop in and say hi to Jen. And they said, "Uh, how do you know Jen? And I, I did, I was like, She's my friend and they were like yeah right. <laughs> I mean, like, she was like no, I've seen I've seen somebody like you before and I bet you're going to ask her to sign a book and take a photo. Um so, I would have done that for you Kyle. Well, and yes, um you would have and I have never asked you. Yes. <laughs> Praise the lord. Um, but
2: then but then what did you do next Kyle?
0: I proceeded to wait so cuz the person was like
2: No, you okay, texted on our I, text thread. I texted I said Jin
0: I'm at reception. They will not let me through. And she said, I'm in a meeting right now. And then I had to tell the woman. I literally said, I turned my phone and said, well, I'm actually texting her. She says she's in a meeting right now. It seemed like I was walking it back, like I was embarrassed. I wasn't embarrassed. But then I felt like maybe this woman thinks I'm a crazy person. Yeah. It was a. It was. It was. Well, and then she
2: thought everybody who wants to come see Jen who texts her, Jen just says, "I'm in a meeting for code for code Mm -hmm. for get this guy
0: out of the the building."
1: Get this guy out of the building. (laughs) Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. So I don't know if that if that person who works at reception is a knowing faith listener. If so, way to go on fulfilling the duties of your role. Like yep. there was you were on top of things and my embarrassment is not your fault. You yeah. are to be commended for doing your duty.
1: And I'd love for you to respond on all my voicemails too. I'll just start <laughs> sending stuff to yeah. Be great. Um okay. Well, uh
0: that was my embarrassing thing from this morning, but here we are. Uh, and hopefully this episode, we're going to record it. I, I truly hope that the first four times wasn't God trying to tell us no, <laughs> and we have persisted. Uh, and uh, and then now we're going to stub our toe on something. But JT, why don't you read Romans 12, one through two for us? That is what we're jumping into. We are moving out of Romans nine through 11. And some of you are literally in your car saying, for from him and through him and to him are all things to him be glory forever. Amen. And amen that we're done with Romans nine mm-hmm. through 11. Mm-hmm. You can amen both of those things. JT, why don't why don't you read Romans twelve one through two for us.
2: You got it. Romans twelve, beginning in verse one. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect.
0: Mm-hmm. there we go let's just start where we should which is to acknowledge what we said at the end of the last episode there's a shift here there's a change in focus um even out of uh, the the first verse here i appealed to you therefore so now paul is basically saying right because when we ask when we see a therefore what do we ask mm-hmm. jt mm-hmm. i forget you're the jt you're the bible literacy guy mm-hmm.
2: what is it there for Jen, have you ever thought about that before? Mm. What's the therefore, therefore? I've
1: never. (laughs) Never thought about that, but that feels really important, and I feel like we should spend some time thinking about it. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, we should. What is the therefore? Therefore, actually, uh, the the Twitter handle Knowing Faith memes posted a picture of Elsa. I saw uh, it with it was like it was like her like doing her Let It Go thing. Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: w- when you find out what the therefore is, therefore, mm-hmm. um, I'll tell you what a therefore is. It's irrevocable. Irrevocable. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. yeah. All back. Yeah, <laughs> irrevocable. Irrevocable. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and Paul is saying, Hey, listen, on the basis of what I've said, I am now, I'm appealing to you. Mm-hmm. So he, we're, he tells us straight out of the gate, he is about to make an appeal. And it, it's not just twelve one through two. It's like the rest of the letter.
1: Yes, some therefores are small therefores that are pointing back to a paragraph before or a chapter before. But I think hmm. you could argue that this therefore is a big therefore that is pointing back to 11 chapters worth of casework that Paul has done. He has built his argument, and he's now going to do what we see the New Testament epistles do. And he's, he's done it. He, he dabbled in it a little bit a few chapters back, but just for a second. Um, but he's going to move now from the indicative to the imperative. He has been making his arguments, and now he is going to make his, um, he is going to draw his conclusions um, that require action as a result of what he said.
0: Now, Jen, just to be clear, if you're saying this therefore is maybe bigger than other therefores, would it be fair to call it a there five? Oh, (laughs)
1: I'm en- I'm embarrassed because I love that so much. Like I'm proud of you right now instead of frustrated.
0: Uh that just occurred to me. So the, you wrote that the spirit down of last God the, the, the spirit of God does continue to illuminate his word if you were wondering. Um but I was what is
2: watching the- you while she was talking about that, and I could see your smile
0: getting bigger.
1: And I was <laughs> like, okay, something's coming.
0: I had to wait on it. I had to wait on it. I couldn't cut her off. Um, okay, but what is the substance of Paul's appeal? He is appealing to them. He is appealing in light of everything he said. Before we dive into maybe some of the specifics of one through two, what is the substance of Paul's appeal? Jen, you just kind of hit it a little bit. He's moving from the indicative to imperative. Mm-hmm. He's moving from kind of the gosh, the theology to the ethics uh, from the theoretical to the practical. I don't know. There's a lot of ways we could say mm-hmm. it. But what mm-hmm. is really the substance of his appeal now?
1: Well, he he gives you a little snapshot of it. He says, in view of God's mercy, like that's, that's what the therefore is referencing. In other words, what chapters one through 11 have been unfolding for us is a vast and expansive view of God's mercy. That is what has been portrayed for us. God's mercy on Jew and Gentile. Um, The Mm -hmm. fact that God affects his salvation on the Jew and the Gentile. And so um, that's what he wants us to take in. He's saying, look over your shoulder at everything we've just talked about. And now, if all of this is true, and it is, then how should you live? And he's going to tell them.
0: Yeah, and yeah. what are some what are some of those mercies that have been afforded um, on the basis of God's covenant faithfulness, JT? What are some of the mercies that he's he's already mentioned, just broadly? I mean, just the fact in Genesis
2: chapter one. Well, I want to answer that question. Can I actually say one more thing, just to I think double down on what Jen just said? Mm-hmm. Romans chapter five, verse one, Paul talks about the obedience of mm-hmm. faith, mm-hmm. and and I think when we talk about the big therefore or the there five, Kyle uh, <laughs> is is he's he is he's trying to point back to say, look, I've been I've been telling you this narrative and story about. God's creation, about how all creatures have been disobedient, Jews and Gentiles alike, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Chapter 4, we are saved by grace through faith, just like Abraham was. Chapter 5, the same idea of disobedience and rebellion of Adam, but grace given to us through the second Adam. Romans chapter 6 and 7, kind of the inner workings of the beginning of the Christian life, of baptism, and now... you know, struggling through sanctification, Romans chapter seven, and then verses nine or chapters nine through 11 being this conversation about what does it look like for God to be merciful to all people is ultimately Mm -hmm. the question. And now getting to chapter 12, the mercy of God has now been given to all people. Mm -hmm. So based upon the mercy of God given to Jew and Gentile, male, female, barbarian and Scythian, slave and free, what should we therefore do? That's Mm -hmm. the question that Paul is trying to ask is in light of the theology that I've presented to you, the anthropology, the soteriology, so doctrine of God, doctrine of humanity, doctrine of salvation, how then should we live? Mm -hmm. That's the question that he's addressing beginning in verse 12 and moving forward. And what you're asking, Kyle, is he's saying this is ultimately not based upon, and again, this is the whole argument. You shouldn't do this, therefore, so that you can earn God's mercy. You should do this, therefore, because you have received God's mercy. And mercy results not just in justification, but in sanctification. And this transformation, if you look at, uh, we don't need to go all the way into it yet. He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. That's a passive imperative, which means it's something that we are supposed to do, but entirely reliant upon God's Holy Spirit doing it in us. So he doesn't say, transform yourself. He says, Be Mm -hmm. transformed because God, the Holy Spirit, is going to do it in you. The more you rely upon God's grace, the more you're aware of God's mercy, the more you're aware of what God is doing redemptively in the personal work of Jesus. Be transformed because of what God's Holy Spirit is doing in you, Jew and Gentile alike.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And I do think it's important, I think, yes, to all of that, JT. Uh, on this foundation of the mercies of God, presenting your bodies as a living sacrifice, I think it's it's important to remember that when Paul says this to a Gentile and Jewish audience, uh, sacrificial language is, is language that feels yeah. maybe foreign to us, or it's very – we usually treat sacrifice language very abstractly mm-hmm. or conceptually, but this is a group that would not have been treating mm-hmm. sacrificial language in the abstract. They mm, would not right. have understood it purely as a concept. They would have understood sacrifice and sacrificial language as actual events.
1: Mm-hmm. Visually actually visually and viscerally. And I, and I think that this is something like when we think about giving our worship to God, we're thinking like, throw your hands in the air, you know, shake it like you just don't care. Like we're thinking, probably <laughs> we're hold, thinking on. But hold on, sorry. hold that's on, hold on,
2: producer it. Brad. We got to hold that in here. This needs to be a moment for uh, us right now. Okay. Wait, wait.
0: Wait, 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 when you said throw your hands in the air, I was praying. Uh-huh. I,
1: I, I, See, I, uttered all prayer the prayers. We to need finish. this moment. No, <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, no. So, but when we, no, think no, no, about- no,
2: no, you can't power <laughs> through this. We're not going to let you
0: wave them around. Oh, yeah. Hey, PGC Women's Conference, throw your hands
1: in the air. Wave
2: them around like you just don't care. Quote anyway. Jen Woken.
1: When we think about worship, we think about prim- primarily, we think about singing. We think about a room that's dimly lit and a mood, yes, 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 you know, and all of that. Yeah. But in the in the minds of these first century listeners, JT, pull it together. In the minds yeah, of these trying. first century listeners, they, that worship and sacrifice. Are, yes. are interchangeable ideas for them. Like they do not think of worship as getting in the zone. You know, like they think of worship right. as— something dies on my behalf blood is shed and so yes. that is what's being conjured here is the idea and, and and so the idea of um when we talk about sacrifice I'll, I'll have to sacrifice for my kids like we think about sacrifice um mm-hmm. sort of as as you were saying um Kyle in abstract ways but but what I think is being referenced here is no uh, a public theologian I think I've said this before will say um your your justification will cost you nothing and your sanctification will cost you everything and, and that's I mm-hmm. think what we're seeing articulated here it's John MacArthur guys I just didn't want to say it it is um and so but it's a great quote it's true and I think that's what now Paul he's like and if you thought you know that that mercy was just something that we sit and bathe in the glory of now I'm going to tell you that it's gonna it's gonna be costly it's going to mean that you lay down your life on the altar uh, in a in a in an image that would be familiar to them
2: you know what passage always comes to mind for me when I when I when I read this, and, and I think Jen, I, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. Is it's actually Matthew chapter sixteen? Uh, Peter first confesses Jesus as the Christ at Caesarea mm-hmm. Philippi. In a, in some sense, again, we're not trying to put theological categories onto biblical narrative, but that's a justification passage. Mm-hmm. You know, who do you guys say that I am? <clears throat> some say Elijah, some say John the Baptist. Who well, who do you guys think I am? Mm-hmm. Well, you're you're the Christ, the Messiah, Mm -hmm. the son of the living God. And Jesus says to Peter, the only person who could have revealed that to you is my father who is Mm -hmm. in heaven. So blessed are you Simon Barjona. But then Jesus goes on. So if that's justification, Jesus goes on to foretell his death and resurrection. Mm -hmm. And Peter's like, no way. Like, Mm We're not here to sacrifice something. We're here to take something. We're Mm -hmm. not here to give ourselves away. We're here to pick ourselves up. Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. That's not the way of of my father. That's not the way of the kingdom. Mm -hmm. And then he says, if anybody would come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For Mm -hmm. what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits its soul? Or what, will, what should a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Mm-hmm. That's sacrificial language in Christian context. Because mm-hmm. here in Rome, you've got Jew and Gentile who have very different conceptions mm-hmm. of what sacrifice is. Some are sacrificing to pagan gods do- or have sacrificed to pagan gods. Right. Others have sacrificed at the temple. And Jesus is saying here, that now the Christian sacrifice is a picking up of a cross to not mm-hmm. be transformed to the way or conformed to the ways of the world, but transformed through this cruciform life, which leads not to the crown first, but to the cross.
1: Can I ask you something? I hear people say cruciform life a lot, and I would imagine some of our listeners do as well. Can you say mm. um, in very simple terms what we mean when we say a cruciform life?
2: the Christian life is shaped by the cross.
1: So not shaped like because I tend to think like oh shaped like a cross what does that mean but you're saying shaped by the cross so how how does yeah. the cross inform the way that I live is what what a cruciform a person who wants to live a cruciform life is asking good yeah
2: yeah I think so 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 it, it, it's not just that it's shaped by like in terms of our intellect and mind that's mm-hmm. certainly true we want mm-hmm. to preach the cross to ourselves remind ourselves of the sacrifice of Jesus but what I think that word is getting at is that it's more formative practices like it's a realization mm-hmm. that. Christians are living a life that is shaped by the cross as they parent, as they are married, as they're single, as they're, you know, working in a cubicle and trying to figure out what sacrifice looks like Mm -hmm. for a company. And and so like, it's not just like I'm shaped by the cross because I've been forgiven, but it's a, it's a way of life that's inviting us into the way that Jesus lived, which ultimately led to the cross. Mm -hmm. Is that what
0: you'd say, Kyle? Yeah. I mean, pick up your cross and follow me. That's cruciform living. That's That's right. Cruciform life you ever get stuck wondering how to study a bible passage the courage for life study bibles for women and the courage for life study bibles for men have over 1400 bible studies that's a bible study on every page of bible text access to the filament bible app lets you dive even deeper If you download the app and you scan the page number, you can open up a world of resources, including over 25,000 additional study notes, hundreds of videos, and a full audio Bible. Start discovering at courageforlifebible.com. That's courageforlifebible.com for incredible study notes and an incredible study Bible. We live in a possession and money obsessed culture, but what does the Bible say about generosity? In his new book, A Short Guide to Gospel Generosity, author Nathan Harris shows us that the answer to our obsession with possessions is turning to the gospel because only in the gospel can we find the type of life transformation that enables us to turn our focus from ourselves and back to others, to give generously and to follow in the way of Christ. To learn more about the book, visit GuideToGospelGenerosity.com. That's GuideToGospelGenerosity.com. Let's talk real quickly. I, I want to bring this up on do not be conformed to this world. And I want to come back to language, JT, that you and I have used in the training program, in the Institute Now, Forge program, and that we, we've talked about it on the podcast before because I think when people think about conformity to the world, that can be very hard to visualize. Like, it can be very hard to be like, what does it mean to be conformed to the world? And oftentimes, I think the way that Christians, if they think about conformity to the world, is they'll think about it in terms of, like, whatever the chief culprit of, like, Christian concern is at any given point. Mm. So, like, if you had asked just, like, an average Christian in the 20th century, to not be conformed to the pattern of this world, they might've said something like, well, to not embrace Darwinianism. Like, Mm -hmm. Like, we don't want to be like those, you know? Or if somebody in the 21st century was asked, hey, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, what would they say, right? They, they typically will find whoever they perceive of as the greatest threat to Christian witness and say, well, then to not be like that person or that group of people. Mm-hmm. But there are more deceptive conformities to the world than merely the things we don't like. You're probably less tempted to be conformed to the pattern of of the person, or of the thing that already cuts against you. You're probably more uh, tempted to be conformed to the things you already like, mm-hmm. uh, things that feel gratifying or That's a really good way to put it. Desirable, and I think that false stories has been a helpful way for us to talk about this. Yeah. So, could we t- could we talk real quickly about false stories? For sure. Yeah. So, when we were teaching the training program, we would talk about uh, Babette Buster, the person who tells the best story wins. Story shapes us. Story forms us as creatures. Uh, we would give that Alistair McIntyre quote. Before I, I I can answer the question, what am I to do? I fir- I must first answer the question, what story am I living in? And so we would use that to introduce the way that we're narrative form creatures and that we're participating, playing out and performing the stories that we believe are the controlling narratives of our life. And then we would contrast false stories with the true story. The true story is the story of the gospel. We've been talking about that one. Give me some examples of what are false stories that we are liable to be conformed to as Christians in our world.
2: Yeah, and, and this is something that—I mean, this has been— I think formative for both of us, Kyle, as we've thought about the way that I mean, like the whole training program, institute, forge program, whatever it is, is really governed by this basic idea of like, what does it mean to live in a false story? And so, uh, that Bobette Buster quote, uh, sorry, Bobette Buster quote, is the is like my favorite quote that there is uh, because it's just it. I think it so captures this idea that we're living in a world of stories and narratives. And so I remember sitting in my office writing this lecture specifically, and this is, I didn't get this list of like, you know, false narratives from anywhere else. It, it was just – it was – I think the way to think about this is, is that these false narratives that we're, we'll go through here in a minute are not, like, all-encompassing and all-governing. We all live in all of them in some sense. And there's also some that we won't list here that people live in. So, mm-hmm. like, here's an example. Romanticism. This is the false story that tells you that you are your emotions. We all know those people who are, like, maybe they're the Enneagram force, and they're always in their emotions. The more uh, The more emotion they have, the more authentic it is. Therefore, they're living a life of, of authenticity. Uh, the false story of consumerism, the story that tells you you are what you have, the person that just can't stop you know, consuming more things. So the story of pragmatism. This is the story that tells you whatever works must be true. Like I live in this every single morning when I'm, I get out my bullet journal and I just wanna like, you know, have a, 15, you know, check marks on the things that I accomplished for that day. (laughs) Uh, The false story of postmodernism, the story that says there is no big story because all experiences and all stories are equally valid. Uh, The false story, one that came in later, we didn't have this that first year, but somebody came to us and said, hey, what about this story? It's the false story of perfectionism, the story that tells you you have to be perfect and good and right in order to be Accepted. One of them that is interesting is the false story of American civil religion or moral therapeutic deism—the story that tells you, let's just cut the rough edges off of Christianity to make it palatable to modern sensibilities. It's not a supernatural religion. It's not a religion of wrath and justice and forgiveness. It's really just a a story of of just good morals, or or, or perhaps the story uh, somebody at, at storyline this year. Uh, really identified with the false story of secularism. This idea that the world that we're living in, this natural world, is all that there is, and there is no supernatural involvement. And so, this church in Rome would have been dealing with all kinds of different false stories. Like, they were not dealing with the false story of secularism. Mm-hmm or American civil religion. you know what story they were certainly dealing with? The false story of, of kind of Roman imperialism?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, yeah, the Caesar cult would certainly have been like the chief false story of Rome, right?
2: So any false story is ultimately, if, if maybe you're listening right now and you're thinking, I'm still not sure that I understand exactly what they're talking about. A story is a, or a false story is a a narrative that gives you a vision of the good life that ultimately ends in death. A false story is a narrative that that tells you a vision of the good life that ends in death. It's something that's going to cost you a bunch of things to live a life of perfectionism or pragmatism or American civil religion. But what we just said in Matthew chapter 16 is that the true story is actually a story that promises death but brings about life. And that's the way of the cross. And so living in the story of Genesis to Revelation, so like, I think you were the first person that said this to me, Kyle, you like held up your Bible once, I think in the training program, and you said something like, this is not the story of another world. This is the story of this world. And you Mm -hmm. said, you know, those people who say Bible times, Like, I don't know what they're talking about. These are Bible times, you know? (laughs) (laughs) And you got really animated about it. I loved it because it was a reminder, like, we can all live in, like, if I had that house, if I had that car, if I had that, you know, politician elected, if I had that spouse, if I only, you know, could make myself a little bit better, well, then I'd be happy. And what Paul is saying is that true blessedness, true happiness, true life, going back to Matthew 16 in the Gospels, is actually found in picking up a cross if it's a, if it's the Jesus shaped cross,
0: yeah,
1: well, and I think a good way to think about the categories of false stories versus the true story is the one that James gives to us and the one the Old Testament pattern gives. It's worldly wisdom versus godly wisdom. False stories are always an expression of, of worldly wisdom that has been systematized, mm-hmm. uh, so to speak. Um, and so it's like, hey, no, you can have things on your own terms um, through this particular story. Uh, whereas the, the godly wisdom, by contrast, is no, we live according to God's terms and we live in submission to, to his rule. And, uh, you know, pretty quickly here in the book of Romans, we're going to get into issues of submission. And so I think, yep. you know, we're getting yeah. the setup even. Even here in in the beginning
2: of chapter 12. And I just want to say one thing to that, because Jenna, you're a thousand percent right. I I agree with that. I think one of the things that false stories does that James doesn't quite do, and that I'm not sure Paul's trying to do here in Romans 12, is sometimes the false stories of the world are 70% true.
1: Yeah.
2: Like we're not trying to overly contrast, you know, foolishness with wisdom. Though the Bible does that in Proverbs or in the Psalms, mm-hmm. what we're trying to contrast is things that can actually be good, like mm-hmm. you know, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Mm-hmm. But then there can also be a false story of perfectionism that demands something of you that's going to lead
1: to death. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think I would, I would, I would press it and say that worldly wisdom is can look exactly like a godly wisdom, but be defined simply by a difference in motive. And so, yeah, I think we're dancing around the same Um, idea. Yeah, that's good. But
0: it's this being conformed, this this admonition to not be conformed is being contrasted with a exhortation to be transformed. So it's Mm -hmm. don't be conformed, but be transformed transformed Mm -hmm. by the renewal of your mind and i do think the emphasis is here on the uh i'm not saying that paul is um saying the mind is the only battleground here but i do think that even the way this is phrased is asserting that like what we think and what we dwell on and what we consider is a crucial part of the equation um, that the things that we give ourselves over to thinking uh, and uh, our really our attention, uh, both emotively and intellectually, um, is is really crucial here. And he's saying you you are to be transformed by the renewal of your mind, and that's for a purpose. Mm-hmm. The purpose is testing mm-hmm. that you may know what is uh, the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So he's he's saying, listen, if you are conformed to the pattern of this world, you are not going to have a discerning enough palate more. Emotionally, spiritually, intellectually, whatever, to know what is good and acceptable and perfect. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you are transformed by the renewing of your mind, that filter is going to become finer. And subsequently, you are going to find yourself latching on to things that are better for you.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And I feel like we have, I let me just I'll say this and then I'll, I'll shut up. But I kind of feel like We stopped talking about worldliness because we felt like it made us sound like the kind of people who boycott, you know, coffee shops or something. (laughs) There were weirdos who were talking about uh, worldliness in the back half of the 20th century, and there certainly was. Um, I'm not saying that everybody who talks about worldliness is of – the. Uh, that has they have good motives I kind of feel like we got to start talking about worldliness more Mm -hmm. and like the fact that it's okay to want to experience transformation like there are things that are not good for you to think
1: about Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. like there
0: are things that are good for you to think about Mm
1: -hmm. right Mm -hmm. yeah we become what we behold And I think that what's interesting is that a linguistic connection that I had not seen until I spent more time in this passage was that he doesn't just randomly mention our minds here in verse two, because he's been talking about minds just at the end of chapter 11, but he's been talking about the mind of God. He says, who has known the mind of the Lord, who has been his counselor. And so he's gone through this whole, you know, um, how unsearchable are his judgments and inscrutable his ways. So before he challenges us on the need for our own minds to be transformed, he gives us a sense of the, the infinite distance between the mind of God and our minds, particularly in an unconverted state. And then he gives us this great hope because we are not conformity optional creatures, we will be conformed, period. We were created to conform. The question is what we will conform to. And so when Romans twelve two says, no longer be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed, it's saying don't conform, but be transformed so that you can conform. Like we are, mm-hmm. we will conform. It's that we will conform now to to the image of Christ as we were created to do. In fact, other p- places in scripture refer to us as having the mind of Christ. And, mm-hmm. and I think that's what's in view here.
2: You just sounded like the author of Hebrews there. Somewhere in scripture it says, that's uh-huh, good. Uh-huh, <laughs> like,
1: uh-huh. It's like, no, I really know what it is. I'm just going to keep it vague, right? <laughs> <laughs> keep it there. Mm-hmm,
2: mm-hmm. Well, I, the reason I just thought about that Jen is we, I think our minds are on the same page that's 1st Corinthians chapter 2 I just heard of that yeah. because Paul here is doing very something very similar in 1st Corinthians 1 in chapter 2 where he says in chapter 1 where's the wise where's the scribe the debater of this age has God not made foolish the wisdom of the world? And mm-hmm. so he's t- that goes back to the mm-hmm. to chapter yeah. 11, foolishness yeah. and wisdom and what God has given us. Mm-hmm. At the end of chapter two, he says, but we have the mind of Christ. Mm-hmm. And that's ultimately whether we're trying to define cruciformity or trying to find transformation in this world, is it's a spiritual transformation that happens to us when we come to Jesus in regeneration and faith through repentance, through the gift that has been given to us. But now this life of sanctification leading to glorification of following Jesus in all all things, and I think that's mm-hmm. what Paul's highlighting. One of the commentators that I read said it this way, which kind of I think simplifies the conversation we're having now. Is he says ultimately the Christian life is a life of unlearning and learning, and mm-hmm. so there's so many things, so many things that we all need to unlearn, and that's mm-hmm. what he means by "Don't be conformed." <laughs> like you have been given a wisdom of this world that you've, you, you know, if you grew up in a pagan home or maybe grew up in a. I'm talking about the church in Rome, not our homes, a Jewish home that was all about sacrifices and law-keeping, you need to unlearn the conformity to that world Mm -hmm. because you've been conformed to a pattern or a false narrative, if that's Mm -hmm. the language we're using in our current context, that you need to unlearn. And and you're going to have to crucify yourself to that daily and say that what I thought was the good life isn't and that the Mm -hmm. good life is actually found at being transformed by the power of the Spirit, which is the Spirit of Christ, which is going to lead me in this cross-shaped life to follow Jesus wherever he leads me and that better than a sacrifice to a pagan God or better than a sacrifice to the temple is what's actually going to be my form of worship.
1: Mm-hmm. That's right. Or as Peter would say, don't get, don't be, don't return to the feudal ways of your forefathers. Right. I mean, it's, it's, that's right. the, there was a way you used to do things. Colossians three, you know, in the study that we did at the village, we kept going to Colossians three, put to death, therefore put on, therefore, you know, it's, it's mm. not just a turning from, it's a turning to, and that's where we are, um, in the book of Romans as well. And, and, you know, knowing what comes next in chapter 12, it's going to start to sound a lot like wisdom literature, even as we move into the second half of the chapter or the back end of the chapter.
2: Kyle, I want to ask you a question about the comment that you made a minute ago about worldliness, because I think sometimes, especially in a passage like this, Romans, you know, chapter 12 to a spiritual form of worship. So I think worldliness can be heard as a, as a material term mm-hmm. and a spiritual act of worship can be heard as immaterial and it can almost re- uh, begin manifesting itself in like a false Gnosticism mm-hmm. of like, I'm going to hate things that are material and love things that are immaterial. I'm going to deny myself materialism and I'm going to pursue spiritual things. I don't think that's what Paul's saying and I don't think that's what you're saying but can you help us think about what does a spiritual act of worship look like that actually still loves the world defined materially? <laughs> Because John okay. three sixteen, for God so loves
0: true. the yeah. world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a, I mean, you just, there's like a I know. lot of questions in what you just asked me. But um, <laughs> I'll just so, say so, when so I, can
2: I. Can I simplify it then? Uh-huh. When you say we need to start talking about worldliness, you're not saying we need to deny materialism and pursue no. spirituality. What you're saying is, is true spirituality loves material things that God loves as well
0: yeah help us help us think about that true spiritual worship loves things that god loves in the way that god loves them that's right it doesn't love things the way that god loves in the way you want to love them for example right now a lot of conversations about justice will go like this god loves justice and he loves it exactly the way i do Hmm. (laughs) it's like so, so, God's gonna line up with you on all of your policy positions because God loves justice. No, you're wrong. You're loving this the way that you love it. Now, I'm not debating whether you, whether God loves it. I'm asking you, do you think that God has a way of loving it? Because I think he might, uh, and it'd probably be good to love it the way that God loves it. Um, I'm also not saying like, for example, in the last few years, I've heard when people talk about their Sabbath as like an enjoyment of rich things, of good things. Like maybe you go out and you have a great meal or whatever. It's like, yeah, okay. A great meal could be really good. I'm not, gosh, I love a great meal as as much as the next person does. But like, is it to say that you can't do that? No, it's also not to say that that's what you must do. (laughs) It's just to say like, it's okay to enter into worship by loving the things that God loves in the way that God loves them. I think that we get off in our worship when we love something that God loves and not in the way that God loves it, or we love something that God doesn't love. Hmm. So uh, worldliness is not just loving something God doesn't love. For example, sensuality and sexual licentiousness. There is just far too much comfort around sensuality among confessing Christians period.
1: Could you period. give an example?
0: I could give a ton of examples. I could give the fact that we are always looking for the redemptive edge of everything. And we should probably sometimes go, you know what, maybe if I have to write 1800 words on how something is redemptive, <laughs> maybe it's not obviously redemptive, just maybe, <laughs> you know, um, so, so like uh, a
1: TV show or, or yeah. music. And or listen, kind. I'm not saying, you know, uh,
0: I told my congregation this past week, I'm not saying go burn your CDs. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? That's not what I'm about here. I'm not saying like, turn off your radio station, get a hammer and destroy your TV. I, I'm I'm simply saying we should be very mindful that in our age where we believe that, um, where there has been a right renewal of a common grace understanding of how God is at work in the world and how he blesses us through, yes. Immaterial spiritual things and material things that we are not too quick to consecrate that which God would condemn. And I think that is something that we should be very, very careful of. And I think, particularly now, we needed it. We, we probably needed the message we heard in the beginning of the 21st century. Like, I think we needed the message. I needed the message as a young Christian uh, student about the value of God's wondrous world. I needed to hear that. I needed to be. Invited to a free exploration of that in the freedom I had in Christ. I believe that's true. And I believe it's still true. I do not know that we knew how rapidly things would change over the last 22 years. And I think that we need to be mindful that the message that we were very clear and loud about 22 years ago, um, that it's not the same world that we're living in 22 years later. A lot has transpired, and we should be very mindful about how those things are affecting Christian witness. So that's really good. uh, I think that's my hot take on it. I think the baseline is worldliness is loving something God doesn't love or loving something that God loves, but in a way that's not the way that God loves it. Hmm. So making it an idol.
2: And those two things are not broken out by material categories or immaterial categories.
0: Absolutely not. Yeah, that's good. Um, cause you can love a concept in an inappropriate way, just like you could love a tree in an inappropriate way. You know, I think God wants you to love his earth. I don't think he wants you to worship trees. I think God wants you to love justice. I don't think God wants you to worship justice. Mm-hmm.
1: It's good it sounds Thank like you. we need discernment to be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will.
0: Yeah. I think we absolutely back to the text. Yeah. There we
1: go. No, but I do think it's important because what you're talking about, Kyle, is a way of thinking about the will of God that is different Mm -hmm. than what most people tend to default to. Uh, You're saying it's God's will that we would love God and God's world the way that God does. And I think that's significant because that takes discernment. And I think that's what we're seeing here. And again, I think here he's setting up for us wisdom categories. He's saying testing and approving. You know, you've got to you've got to apply wisdom to what you do know. Uh, you don't have the mind of the Lord, but you do have a mind that is capable of discernment when it is in submission yep. to the Lord. Uh, and yep. so, you will be able to discern: Is this going to draw me toward holiness, or is this going to draw me toward ungodliness? And those are that is a different way of thinking about the will of God than most people that I know think about it. Most people that I know think about it as God: What do you want me to eat for dinner, or what you know, or mm. or where do you want me to go tomorrow morning? And so, um, and, and then we're going to see that all of the things that he's going to start um, sort of peppering them with in the rest of the chapter are are things that are dealing with holiness.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Let me just ask you guys in closing, this is probably a bigger can of worms for a longer episode. Um, do you think people are comfortable calling something ungodly?
1: Mm-hmm. Do you think that, do you hear people say that's ungodly? Oh, absolutely. If it's not the thing that they're dealing with. <laughs> right? Ha 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 ha! Call out culture. That's call out culture. It's just, if it's my thing, I don't (laughs) call it ungodly. If it's my thing, it's like a guilty pleasure or, you know. Maybe a
2: sin struggle. Mm -hmm. uh, That's not my struggle with. A wrestle. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, that's more than fair. More than fair. Well, on our next episode, we're going to continue in Romans 12 and continue to explore what this kind of ethical call actually looks like for the life of the Christian. If you're interested in finding us online, you can find Knowing Faith on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. You can check us out on Patreon. If you want some behind the scenes stuff, some other cool extra features over at patreon.com slash knowing faith. If you're not familiar, we have a sister show called the Family Discipleship Podcast. Go give them a listen. They have had on some incredible guests this spring and they have a few more left for this season as well. We hope you enjoy the discussion. Grace and Peace.